And we'll try to get that to you. All right, looks like most people did uh, did get one. We're, we're studying the book of Revelation. Uh, we're, we're now in chapter 3. But before we get there this morning, I'd like for you to go to the book of First Kings in your Old Testament. It's kind of a springboard into what we're going to be seeing th- this morning. And I, I guess I'm, I'm probably doing this... Uh, doing this for me as much as I am for you, because I know where we're going today. And so I probably need to just let you know that I realize that when we're covering the ground that that we're covering right now in the book of Revelation, that, uh, you know, this isn't like we come to church every Sunday and, you know, get stroked by the reverend, you know. It's not like, you know, we come here and... And everybody just makes you feel real good about the life you've been living. This has been some tough ground, hasn't it? it, it well, it has for me, anyway. And uh, thank you. All right, I don't, I don't feel quite as alone now. All right, in First Kings chapter 22, this is kind of what I, I feel like. Let's pick up at verse 1. It says, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? Hey, we got them, babe. And we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle Ramoth and Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. Hey, we're cool, man. Let's do it. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramath-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? Okay, now 400's cool. I just want to make sure about this thing before we go into this battle. I want to make sure we're going to win. Now, is, is there anybody else here that we can just ask about that thing? Verse 8, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Pastor Mark, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. So don't bring that sucker out here, because I don't want to hear what he has to say. And, and I'll just tell you, sometimes I feel like I'm Micaiah, and I'm coming before you, and I never have anything good to say. It's just evil all the time. And today will be no different. Um, <laughs> so let's go to Revelation chapter 3. And I say that in jest, and yet I, I, I mean it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that way. But if you see what Revelation chapter 3 says is true of the people that live in this generation, I'll just tell you, I, I don't know how to be any other way. And, uh, you know, it's not like, you know, every week I just, you know, go, go to my study and say, now let's see how I can, how I can blow them away this week. Because I, I want you to see, I'm getting blown away 
right along with y'all. You know why? You know why we can apply the word of God so well around here? Because it applies so much to those that are preaching it. You know, people that don't know how to apply it, it's because it doesn't apply to their life. Some good folks. You just don't happen to be at a church where they got good folks. You know, we can see this stuff because we're guilty. Right, right along with everyone else. So I don't want you to think that, you know, we just come up here and take pot shots at everybody in the, you know, the Laodicean church period, and we go back to our cush office and just have a wonderful time. Man, we're, we're right in the same boat with you. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, and, and regardless of your guest, we're going to pull some pieces together today because I feel like the Lord is wanting to do something significant with everything that we've we've been learning. But especially for you folks who are guests with us, so that you'll understand where we are with what's going on in the book of Revelation. Just very quickly, and I know that if you've never, if you've not been here for this study, and if you've never been acquainted with some of this ground that uh, is in Revelation 2 and 3, this is going to be a, a heavy for you. But our Lord wrote seven letters to seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. They were real letters written to real churches that existed in Asia Minor around 95 A.D. And they addressed real situations that were going on in those churches. And yet, when you put that into the context of the whole of the book of Revelation, what you see is that God is using those letters in a prophetic application, in some cases even an inspirational application, to speak of seven periods of church history that pick up where the book of Acts leaves off in the history of the church, and it takes you all the way up into the rapture. So there's seven periods of church history. And we've been working our way through those things, and we were clicking along at a great pace when all of a sudden we came to the Philadelphian church period, which is the next to the last period of church history. You can see on your study sheet, it's the period of history from approximately 1500 to 1900. And then we move into, in 1900, we moved into the Laodicean church period. And what is characteristic of this period of time that we're presently living in is described for us in the letter to the Laodiceans, picking up in chapter 3 and verse 14, all the way to verse 22, just prior to the rapture of the church, which is found in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. And verse 1. So we've been looking at these last two periods of church history. Now let's just be reminded right now of what was characteristic of the Philadelphian church period. We've talked about the fact that this was the glory days of the church. In all of church history, there was never a period of time like that period of time from approximately 1500 when it was actually getting started and actually really hit the hit with, with, with fervor around 1611 or so, up to the time of 1900, the glory days of the church. It, this was the, the period that it, we call historically the, the golden age of missions. This was the, the time of, of the, the, the period of the church, of the open door, it talks about in, in this letter. And what was taking place during this period of time is the power of God was being manifest like at no other period of time in the history of the church. And I'm not talking about in, you know, people, you know, throwing out the power of God out of their hands or swinging their coat around a, a, a theater or an auditorium. We're not talking about power like that. Not theatrics. We're, we're talking about people 
who when they would proclaim the word of God, it was proclaimed in power and supernatural power and men were coming under contrition as the Spirit of God would begin to, to, to work. This was a period of time where believers in Jesus Christ, they got a hold of this book and that book was getting a hold of them and the, they had a passion in their heart for God. And that passion in their heart for God translated itself into a passion for people. This is the period of time where God characterizes that period of history by the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. It was a time when men, for love for their brothers in a humanitarian type of a sense, were taking the gospel literally to the ends of the globe. That book was getting inside of them and it created a passion for them to tell the message of who Jesus Christ is to, to people everywhere. And, and the, the things that were taking place on this planet during that period of time were just unbelievable. A period of time where they basically had no technology. A, a period of time where the, the Spirit of God was sweeping all over this planet, reaching people with the Gospel. And yet they had no, none of the, the technological advances that we're dealing with today and now here we are with all of this stuff and all of these things are being utilized by believers everywhere and less is happening for Jesus now than it was then. This was the time where, where people knew what it was to pray. You read the lives of people in that period of time and, and they're talking about travailing in prayer. Would anybody like to stand up and explain travailing in prayer? You see what I'm saying? We're not even we're not even sure what it means. And, and this is this is what was taking place and this is why men like George Mueller during this period of time, during that period he, he, he comes to the end of his life and he says, I estimate that in my lifetime I have seen 10,000 specific prayers that were answered supernaturally and miraculously by God. I mean, just the power of God was manifest. The preaching during that period of time. You know what? Nobody was, nobody was wimping around looking for just the right way to, to say it. You know what? During the Philadelphian church period, the, the preaching of the gospel w was declared from God's perspective. Which meant that they emphasized the holiness of God when they gave the message. And so you know what they declared? You are lost! We live in the Laodicean church period and we like to present the gospel from man's perspective, and so we say, you are loved. This was the time of the great awakening. Oh, he, he is a God of love. Oh, buddy, but He is holy. And, and we, don't need to, we don't need to stroke you this morning and, and convince you that oh, He's, he's, he's loved. You've been seeing John 3.16 up in the end zone for quite a while and ain't done Jack Diddley for you. But when you find out that he is holy and he is a consuming fire, now what's this message about his love? 
You see, that's when you're ready to hear about his love, when you found out he's holy and you're lost, you're separated from him. And you see, that's, that's what was going on in, in, in Philadelphia. This was the time of the Great Awakening in this country. I mean, you go back and check our roots. Man, they're, they're really good, y'all. It's just we're a long way from our roots right now. This was the time of the greatest revivals that have ever been on, on this, this planet. I'm talking about revivals where entire cities in this country were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was so dramatic that the bars went out of business. I mean, this isn't, I'm not preaching now. I'm just telling you the facts. I mean, this is, this is what was going on. But now we're in the Laodicean church period that again picked up around 1900 or so and will take us all the way up to the rapture. And I'm just telling you, when you really get an understanding of what it is, and man, what a song, what a song. You hope that it's today. You hope that it is. This is the church of Laodicea is a church. And again, if you're a guest with us, understand this period of time that we're living in. Church of Laodicea is a church that is so full of pride, you'd, you'd think that it had the power and the blessing of the church in the Philadelphian church period by the pride, that smug arrogance, that self-sufficiency that permeates the church of Jesus Christ today. It, it was... It's a church that thinks it's rich. And Jesus says, no, it's poor. This is a church that thinks it sees. And Jesus says, no, you're blind. This is a church that thinks it's holy. And Jesus says, no, you're wretched. You're miserable. This is a church that's celebrating the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with all kinds of hoopla on the inside. And Jesus is knocking on the outside of the door. He's not even there. People jumping up and down. You know, you see that on TV? Jumping up and down. They don't even know he's not in the room. And whereas the church in the Philadelphian church period was the church of the open door, Laodicea is the church of the, the closed door. This is a church that it thinks it's got it all together. And it thinks it's doing so well for the plain, simple reason that it doesn't know what it's doing. We're doing just fine! In contrast with the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea is a church that has more fashion than passion. It's a church that plays more than it prays. It's a church that is more pathetic than it is prophetic. It's a church that's more superficial than it is supernatural. 
It's a church that's more electronic than it is electrifying. It's a church that's more concerned with recreation than it is the recreation of the lives of men through the message of salvation. It's a church that seeks the temporal pleasures of this world rather than the eternal treasures of heaven. It's a church that's willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to dress up the stage for the Laodicean presentation of the gospel that's getting ready to come in a dramatic form to mask the fact that the pulpit has no fire, the preacher has no power, and Jesus is not in attendance. Laodicean pastors strut all over the, the, the platform talking about all the countries they've preached in and all the places that they're known around the world But there's one place that they're not known. And I put myself right in the big fat middle of them all. One place they're not known is in hell. We're like the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. The demons of hell say, Now, uh, Jesus I know, and, and Paul I know, but who in the devil is this prima donna? Laodicean pastors spend more time traveling in planes than they do travailing in prayer. The fact is, y'all, we're in a mess in Laodicea. And for the last six weeks or so now, we've been asking ourselves a question. And the question is, are we, are we destined to this type of existence? And are you with me on this? If, if, that, if this is it, I mean, if that's all we can hope for, I mean, are, are you with me? Let's just cash it in right now. Let's just, you know, I fold. Uncle. You know, I mean, if this is, if this is all there is, if it doesn't get any better than this, then man, let's just... Let's just quit the shenanigans we go through around here every week and let's just, let's just forget it all and, and do something that's of, of some value. If this is all that there is, but what we've been seeing is that it doesn't have to be this way. Laodicea is definitely a, a period of, of history and we're definitely living in that period of time, but a Laodicean existence is a choice that we make. We do live in the Laodicean age, but we don't have to reside there as far as our life is concerned. We can have a a Philadelphian existence. We can have a, a new Philadelphian life. We can be a new Philadelphian church in this Laodicean age if we want. And what we've been doing is we've been going back to this letter that the Lord wrote to the church in the Philadelphian church period that is descriptive of them. And what we've been seeing if we could do is see if we could identify what the characteristics of this church were that caused the Lord Jesus Christ to so unleash His power upon that church. And as I began to study in preparation for teaching all of us 
this thing, what began to, to jump out to me is that there is at least five factors that we find in, in this letter that are written concerning the Philadelphian church period. Five things that was true of that church that must be true of us if we're ever going to move out of Laodicea and into that Philadelphian type of existence. And I, I, don't, I don't have a, a study sheet. Is there an extra one down here anywhere? Here we go. Thank you. The, the first factor that we, we saw, the thing that is going to move us out of Laodicea and into a, a Philadelphian type of life with the Lord Jesus Christ is the Christ we know. And I don't have time to, to preach this again, but, but let me just remind you, in the Laodicean church period, our number one problem is we don't know the same Christ that they knew then. He presents Himself in verse 7 to this letter in the way that He presents Himself as He which is holy, He which is true, He which has the key of David. Those, those concepts are just foreign to us. Oh, we talk about Him all the time. We talk about the fact that this is truth. We talk about the fact that He is holy. Oh, we talk about His authority and His access. We talk about all of those things. But that's not the Christ we know. It's the Christ we know about. But even then, we don't see Him in the fullness of His holiness and truth and and authority. And then the second thing that we saw is the thing that's going to move us out of Laodicea and into that Philadelphian existence is the life that we live. The life that we live. And you can see the things that we've, we've covered on that. And as... As I've been preparing this week to, to share with you this, this third factor, I, I'll just tell you, I, I, I couldn't help but wonder how serious we are as a church about, about getting this watch band off. I, I couldn't help but wonder how really serious we are about this, this thing of, of moving out of Laodicea and into a, a, a different type of, of existence. And, and, and please understand, I'm, 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 man, I'm not trying to dog you right now. I'm thrilled that you're here. I, I love you, all of that. I'll just tell you honestly how I felt. I, I feel like what we're doing right now is we're coming into this room on Sunday mornings and we're... We're very attentively and very respectfully and very diligently listening to the sermon. And, oh, I mean, we're, we're very precise in making sure that we're getting all of the, the note, notes down. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I almost feel like where we are is, yeah, this is going to be great stuff if I, if I ever really get serious about this thing. And boy, I'm glad that we've got the tapes in the bookstore because then I can even listen to the tapes again. You know, it's it's funny. We talk about, I mean, is there a Sunday that passes by where we don't talk about the fact that we're living in the last days? And we believe that. But most of us, Aren't we living our life like time will never end? And, and yeah, this is this is really good stuff that that we're, that we're covering. And one of these days, 
this stuff may come in handy. And, and now, I, I, I'm cynical enough myself to to know that somebody is probably out there thinking right now, well, the reason he probably figures that is because that's the way he is. And and it may well be the way. Maybe Maybe what I'm feeling is just a reflection of me. But I'll just tell you, I just kind of feel like that's that, that's where we are. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking for an amen right, right here. I'm not looking for a yes. I'm just wanting to ask you, are you really serious about this thing of getting out of a Laodicean life, a Laodicean existence? And... I'm not trying to be hard on you. But could you, on the first point, could you right now, could you, could you stand and say, man, I want you to know how the Lord is, my view of Him has been changing over the last several weeks. Man, I, you know that what you're talking about there, about having... An overwhelming comprehension of His holiness. I'm telling you, oh my goodness, I've been in the presence of the Lord over the last several weeks to where I just absolutely am falling on my face before Him in fear. I mean, could you, could you go through any of that? Remember last week we talked about the life we live and we spent the whole time talking about how we, as, as Laodiceans, there's at least eight ways that I took you not in my little cute outline, just in a real simple fashion, going to every place where we have been commanded as New Testament believers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be and do certain things. And and you know what? Most of us, most of us, from the testimonies that I've heard through through the week, most of us said that we passed one out of the eight. That is, most of us have been baptized. Now. Did you deny his name this week, or, or did we all just have a real fun time being convicted in the service and yet walk out to live the same life that we lived before the Spirit of God convicted us of our sin? You see, Laodiceans like to go to church. It's one extreme to the other. Either tell me what I want to hear or make me feel really bad because it really feels good to feel really bad. You know what I'm saying? Some of you didn't pass the first one. Could I just ask you? Did you do anything this week to, to set your life to following the Lord in baptism? You see what I'm saying? We, we can just go through all this stuff, and man, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool outline we got working there. And I was just wondering before we waltz into the third factor I, I just wondering and this is the bottom of your study sheet do we have the heart to make the move out of Laodicea I, I, I'm, you know what one, one of the things we've never done around here is just go through the motions of stuff I, I'm sure there's times if we've known it we've tried not to that's why we don't do a lot of stuff is we're just going through the motions of it all and Man, I don't want to go to the third point on this thing and just go through the motions and, and do this for some future time when we may you know, get desperate enough for it. 
could we just could we just do a little bit of a heart search this morning before we before we miss an opportunity that we've got to to get out of this joint <clears throat> you see i'm I'm convinced of this you know we can finish the outline in fact I, I thought we were going to finish this this outline in one week. We're on week six now of this thing, and today we ain't hitting the third point. But the the point is, we've got to understand something. It isn't going to be my cute little outline that's going to bring us out. The, The fact that we file in here very diligently and very obediently and listen to a sermon is not going to bring us out. Something needs to happen in our hearts. See, I, if you've been here for what, however long since we started the, the, the series on, on Revelation, you know what, there's not a person in this room right now that couldn't stand, right now, without any preparation, who couldn't stand and just go off on how terrible Laodicea is. And, and you could do a more than adequate job without any preparation of, of going through the characteristics of the Laodicean church, period. And we could talk about the lukewarmness of of Laodicea that verse 16 of Revelation 3 says is so sickening to God that it makes Him want to vomit. Oh, we could talk all about that, but the big question is this. Is our Laodicean condition that sickening to us? Oh, yeah, we can explain all about how sickening to God it is. But you see, we'll never get out of this joint until it gets that sickening to us. You see, it all comes down to to, to the heart. If we're ever going to make it out of here, y'all, something's going to have to happen to our heart. We're going to have to get a broken heart. A broken heart because of the condition of the church of Jesus Christ in this period of time, a broken heart for this church that sometimes in our minds we forget is Laodicean. A broken heart for the life that we as Laodiceans, even in this church, are living. I want you to go back with me to Psalm 69. Let's see if the Lord can't do a little bit of surgery on our hearts this morning. And I know it's redundant, but you of course remember that David was a man after God's own heart. Oh man, don't don't ever lose so much packed into to, to that statement. And, and quite honestly, the, the reason we stay in, in Laodicea is we don't have God's heart. Because if we had God's heart, we'd be so sick. We'd already be out. We wouldn't need anybody to, to give us a, a, a cute outline about how to make it out. We'd just be so sick of, of the sin, we would have found our way out of this thing. And in Psalm 69, David says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. 
Now that word reproach there, as you begin to trace how the King James translators translated that word, what you see is that many times that same word reproach is translated defy. It's translated blaspheme. You know what it is? It is a perfect description of the period of time that we're living in. And I'm not talking about the lost world. I'm talking about the church. Defies the name of God. The church blasphemes the name of God. And David says here, the reproaches of them that reproached thee have fallen upon me. You know what he's saying? God, when you hurt, I hurt. When, when those people are saying those things against you, I, I want you to know, God, I, I feel it like you do. Let me ask you now. Have the reproaches of Laodicea ever fallen upon you? To where you can say, oh God, I feel it the way that you do. You know what's characteristic of Laodiceans? We love Hebrews chapter 4 where he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And we love it over there in Isaiah where it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Oh, let's sing it. But have you ever returned the favor? You ever been touched with what touches God? You ever been reproached? Because God was reproached. That's why David was a man after, after God's own heart. We, we, we've looked at some of these verses before, but who cares? <laughs> let's, let's look at them again. Psalm 119. Verse 139. <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 139. David writes, My zeal, it's just like he was talking about over there in Psalm 69.9, My zeal hath, check it out, consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. And here we are living in the Laodicean church period. And you know what, y'all? The church has forgotten His words. And we just waltz on through life. David says, Oh, they've forgotten your words. And I'm, I'm consumed. I'm cut off. I'm destroyed. Look at verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. The only time the Laodicean is ever horrified is when somebody talks behind their back. Do you know what she's... I can't, I can't believe they said that. I'll tell you what. And we're all wigged. David got wigged because God's name was being reproached. Verse 
get more ticked off when people talk about you than they talk about your Savior? Look at verse 158. I beheld the transgressors. Oh, look around, Laodiceans. I beheld the transgressors and was ticked. That's the way we are, isn't it? We watch it and we get all bent, ticked off because of the way they're acting. David says, I beheld the transgressors and was, was grieved because they kept not thy word. You know where it talks about grieve not the Holy Spirit? You know what I'm talking about over there in the New Testament? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. He can be grieved. Now, just think about this. If we're filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is grieved, will the person that's filled with the Spirit be grieved? Hello? Isn't that true? Are you are you y'all? You're not responding to me anyway here. Are you? Am I communicating this correctly? I mean, and, and you know what's weird? Is we're never grieved, but we claim we're filled with the Spirit. And yet, if you know what's going on around you, you know the Spirit of God's got to just be grieving. David, the man after God's own heart, I, I beheld the transgressors, and I was, I was grieved. To the point that verse 136 says, Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. See what it keeps coming back to? keeps coming back to. And I look around and I see how people live in total disregard for that book. And oh my goodness, I'm consumed. I'm horrified by it. I'm grieved and I can't stop crying. Rivers of waters just run down mine eyes. And Laodiceans, we... We waltz all around it. Sometimes it's even funny, and sometimes we'll even pay our money so that the enemies of the cross of Christ can make us laugh. Because you see, we have liberty in Christ. Could you go over to Jeremiah chapter 9? You ever felt like this? Check this out. Jeremiah 9, verse 1. Jeremiah says, Oh, that my head were waters and my mine eyes a fountain of tears. 
that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. See, Laodicea, we just want to be happy. We're going to do whatever we got to do to make ourselves happy. I'm so happy. And here's the reason why. The reason why. Hey, don't cry. Jeremiah was just heart crushed over the sin uh, of his people. And, and he's not alone. Go back to Ere, uh, Ezra. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra 9, verse 1. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands doing according to their abominations. Is he describing Laodicea, the Laodicean church right there? Or, or is this, oh, no, this is Israel. It's Laodicea. Just make the application there. The people and the pastors have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites. Come on! The Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, every one of them, the enemies of God. And they're just right out there in there in the midst of the world with them doing all the junk that they all do. They, they Verse 2, they, they've taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. Check this out. Ezra says, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment, my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. Astonied. You know what a stonied means? I turned to a stone. I couldn't move a muscle. I, I pulled out my beard and I pulled up my hair and I rent my garments and then I, I just collapsed. And I couldn't move. We would say today the, the dude went nuts. He went absolutely berserk then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away and I sat astonied even uh, uh, until the evening sacrifice and watch his response and at the evening sacrifice I arose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, O oh my God, 
I'm ashamed. And I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. A great prayer for Laodiceans to pray. And could you go to Psalm 137? Psalms all about the nation of Israel being taken into Babylonian captivity. Folks, we've been taken into Laodicean captivity. Okay? Verse 1, Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. I mean, you understand Babylon in the Bible, and man, this is a pitiful thing. For God's people to be sitting in, in, in that God-awful place. Yea, we wept. And I want you to notice that they weren't weeping over personal losses. They, they weren't weeping over personal tragedies. Not that either one of those are wrong. That's just not why they're crying. Because, see, there, there's a greater tragedy than that. It, it says we, we wept. We wept when we remembered Zion. See, this is... That's where God was glorified. Zion. They said, man, we were sitting in Babylon thinking about what, what used to go on in Zion. And, and now they're, they're sitting there with the memory of a burned out temple and how they, the heathen had, had ransacked the whole place. Verse 2. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. You know why they hung their harps? Because their hearts had no song in them. I'm so glad that Frank was want to sing about when he comes again today because I'm telling you seeing this stuff I didn't want to be singing about how wonderful it is to be in your presence again because the truth is probably we have a whole lot more emotion and we have the presence of God, even in this place. And man, they, they've got no song, so man, what's the use in toting his harp around? He just hung it on the tree, because the Lord was no longer with them. 
They were the laughing stock of their enemies. Verse 3. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. Oh, can you imagine that? And that they that wasted us required of us mirth. You know what mirth is? It's joy and gladness. Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Hey, y'all. Why don't you sing one of those pretty songs that you used to sing back in Zion? Verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Are you, are you getting the application here? I mean, you know, we're sitting in Laodicea in this strange land. What we've been trying to do is remember the glory days of the church. To remember Zion, as it were. You see, the only problem is there is nobody in this room. I would, I'd bet my last dollar that there isn't anybody in this room that's ever experienced a genuine, bona fide, Revival. This century just, it hadn't known too many. Oh, oh they, I, yeah, I, there's people that call stuff revival. The reason they call it that is because they don't know what one is. You've got some thing going on down in Pensacola, Florida right now. You see this on TV? They, they've all, all the... 2020 and Primetime Live, they've all been talking about it. It's called the Brownsville Revival. And there's, there's a, a, a spirit that's doing a whole lot of work in a church down there where people by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds camp out in front of the church. They have services six nights a week to get in there. And there's a spirit that's doing a pretty significant work in there. The only problem is it's it's not the Holy Spirit. Because you see the same shenanigans going on in there that you see going on if you watch some kind of documentary. You see going on in heathen tribes in the jungles of Africa. They have nothing whatsoever to do with Jesus, much less revival. But the question is, can, can we... Can we really get the heart that we need to, to have for the Philadelphian existence if all we've ever known is Laodicea? And I'm just going to take you to one more place. I'd love to stop wiping my nose. <laughs> but there's a great example that the Lord gives to us. that I think is a place we can all hang our hat this morning. Go to the book of Nehemiah. 
always it's always on my <clears throat> top ten list of things I'd love to do. Blow my nose in public. And the reason I'm taking you to the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah was a young man who was being raised in exile. He had never experienced the glory of Zion. All, all he had ever done was just hear stories about it. And look at verse 1 of Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Another perfect description of Laodicea. And verse 4 says, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, I mean, he's really got the picture now. He said he did five things. He said, I sat down. See, he had to sit. Because there was no strength within him. Just like Ezra. You, you just get to where there's nothing left. And he says, I wept. His heart was broken. Thirdly, and mourned certain days, grieving the condition, because the Spirit of God is grieved. And fasted, number four. You see, what happened to Nehemiah was what he was seeing had given him an appetite for something more than physical food. Imagine that. And prayed before the God of heaven. And this is what he prayed. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes be open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, 
which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I'll scatter you abroad among the nations, but if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out of the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And I don't want to take too many liberties with the passage, but I just do believe, y'all, when we'll go through the five steps, because our heart makes us. And we pray that prayer. What what he's talking about there, in verse 9, I believe the application is, God says, I'll move you out of Laodicea. I'll move you into Philadelphia. But it ain't going to be because we complete our outline. I believe with all my heart that we've got to go to that Philadelphian letter and, and find out the characteristics, but I'm just wanting you to see here something's got to happen to our hearts. Let's pray.